NVIDIA has been an interesting one. Certainly, you can't help but to notice the wave of AI euphoria. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. The artificial intelligence boom is here, but will it soon bust? On today's episode, portfolio managers Matt Montemoro, Chris Heeks, and your host Mackenzie Box analyze big tech's growth prospects. They also discuss the tentative U.S. debt ceiling deal, the overheating economy, and international equities. Before we hear from the team, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit BMOETFs.com. Hello, and welcome back to our BMO ETFs Weekly Insight Podcast with our team of experts. Thank you to everyone for continuing to join and tune in and provide comments and questions to our panel of experts. I'm today's host, Mackenzie Box, in product at BMO Global Asset Management. Today, I'm joined by Matt Montemiro and Chris Heeks, who are both portfolio managers on our ETF desk. So special thank you to both Matt and Chris for joining me today. Thanks for having us, Mackenzie. Thanks, Mackenzie. All right, so let's dive into it. Matt, we'll start with you. The potential for a ceiling on rate hikes might not be first thought of when the debt limit is being discussed, but it does lead to an interesting outcome. It's also interesting to see this reduction in spending is not the trend one see in Canada. Can you maybe walk us through the outcome of the U.S. debt ceiling and any market implications that may have? Yeah, absolutely. So after months of stalemate negotiations and back and forth, the White House and House Republicans finally came to a deal uh, on the upcoming debt ceiling. And, and kindly, they didn't wait for the final minutes to agree. So, you know, it was the U.S. long weekend and they were able to come to uh, an agreement over the weekend hit newswires on on Monday, on the holiday Monday, which at least gave markets and market participants a couple days of reprieve from the volatility that we hadn't been experiencing, especially last week. This deal lifts the debt ceiling to and pushes it out to early 2025, removing this issue from concerns today, but also removing it from next year's election headlines as well. So, you know, I think all of those things are, are, are good. It removes a, a major source of, of volatility and noise from the markets. Uh, you know, looking at some key details, you know, I have four kind of just high level, you know, what happened and what, what was agreed upon. So the key details include freezing non-defense discretionary spending at 2023 levels for 2024, and then allowing a 1% increase in 2025 with no caps beyond that. Some reclamation of unspent COVID funds, three is 1.9 billion reduction in the already 180 billion in allocation to the IRS. And then minor expansion in the work required for food and cash assistance. So those are kind of the main four areas of the agreement and the details of the deal. At a high level, the fiscal implications of the deal actually look to be 
quite minor for, for such a big headline issue. You know, the ramifications are actually pretty small. The New York Times analysis put it at about $650 billion, uh, over the over the next decade. So all things considered, not a huge impact. Uh, it does seem that both sides are, are are pretty annoyed with the deal. And, and maybe that is a good sign for, for compromise and that it actually was something that both sides had to give in a little bit to, to get the deal done. So, you know, when we look out and, and you know, I think it, it, it is a positive that, well, obviously it's a positive that the U.S. Uh, did not default. And uh, it's a positive for markets because some noise and volatility has now been removed. So what happened in fixed income markets specifically? So leading up, uh, you know, last week, mainly we saw kind of May 31st, then June 1st, the June 6th, basically any sh- super short term kind of one to two week UST bills, we saw their yield spike in some cases almost to 7% in the concern that if we did not get a, a, a debt ceiling agreement and we did see a US default, then, then uh, you know, all hell would break loose. So, you know, one positive is that you know, although we did see some 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 major spikes last week, all has returned to normal. We see overnight, one month and three month looking back in line, a normal looking curve uh, from what we were starting to see last week with with some major major spikes in the short end. You know, all that talk and and all those short term rate moves, you know, were basically for naught, and and the U.S. Uh, default looks to be off the table at least till twenty twenty five. So how does this impact uh, the Fed rate decisions moving forward? While the market uh, did expect the Fed would start to pause rates after after last month, the debt ceiling definitely put that into question. You know, currently we see the market expectations. You know, it's it's no sure thing, but we saw the uh, likelihood of another hike come down to about sixty five percent. At the June meeting, so you know, still, a, still a real chance that uh, that a hike takes place. But I think one thing to consider is that many feel that due to the increase in Treasury short-term Treasury issuance that the Fed is going to have to do to get the cash to make sure that the country can still run, they're going to need to issue a significant amount of Treasuries, which is going to have a tightening effect downstream throughout the economy. And a lot of uh, a lot of economists are, are quantifying this as being very similar to a 25 basis point hike. So if this debt ceiling in itself, just because of that issue and because of the the need to issue treasuries, is acting as a 25 basis point hike, this is I do believe that the Fed will hold tight at June's meeting. They'll they'll see how this kind of you know artificial hike will kind of move through the system. They continue to make positive progress in inflation. Uh, so, and that is where I, I think, uh, I think the, the Fed will continue on their pause rather than hiking further, because I don't think they want to overhike, uh, especially with the, with the short-term impact of all those new issue treasuries. So all in all, you know, I think this is a lot of short-term volatility for, for not much substance you know, we end up in a very sim- similar position we were, you know, about a month ago, uh, and we continue to see. Uh, we, I expect we continue are going to continue to see higher rates for longer. You know, I still favor. I, we've been talking about it for quite some time. I think a barbell strategy is still very well positioned. You know, if you're looking for U.S. exposure, you know, something like ZUS.U. 
So that is the uh, BMO Ultra sh- US Ultra Short Term Bond ETF uh, or something like ZSU, the BMO Short Term US Investment Grade Corporate Bond Hedge to CAD Index ETF. Both provide kind of under five year short term credit exposure. You're getting above a 5% yield, you know, taking advantage of that inversion of the yield curve. And I think it still looks very opportunistic right now. And I would complement that with ZTL, so the BMO long term US Treasury bond index ETF. You know, that both of having both of those, that'll give you uh, some protection over the next six to 12 months. If we see growth start to slow down, that duration and that equity market offset in your portfolio will be extremely attractive, while all while clipping a quite desirable 5% yield in the short end. So, you know, that's where I, I would position it. My position, positioning, you know, after all of the hoopla around uh, the debt ceiling remains intact, remains similar. I still think we're going to be in higher rate environment for longer. And I think we're going to continue to see some rate stability going uh, throughout the summer. Great. Thanks, Matt. Amid high interest rates and market volatility, consider BMO's top three ETFs yielding over 6%. The BMO Covered Call Utilities ETF, ticker ZWU, provides exposure to an equal weight portfolio of utilities, telecoms, and pipeline companies. The BMO Covered Call Canadian Banks ETF, ticker ZWB, invests solely in Canadian financials presenting an attractive valuation opportunity. And the BMO Canadian High Dividend Covered Call ETF, ticker ZWC, features solid historical dividend growth. To learn more, visit BMOETFs.com and search for tickers ZWU, ZWB, and ZWC. Just building off your answer there, Chris, maybe you can give your insight on what this means for equity markets as well. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Mackenzie. Equities do not like volatility, as we all know. So certainly getting a deal done uh, removes Uh, one source of volatility, although it should be said that the deal is agreed between the Speaker and the Executive, Biden, but it still has to pass the House and the Senate. So, uh, you know, it's going through the House today as we tape our call. It is expected it will go through, you know, the political ramifications, as Matt said, of of a default on U.S. debt are very uh, uh, drastic and extreme and, and, and has you know, impacts on payrolls for many millions of Americans. So, you know, really attacks the political base. There'd be a lot of angry constituents if they don't get paid as, as you would, uh, you know, as you would expect. So, you know, the thinking is, it's just politically too toxic not to pass the bill. So we'll be looking for that. And so under that assumption, yes, the removal of volatility, it's a positive catalyst but I think then, as Matt speaks about, takes us to inflation again. And, and inflation is as important for equity investors as it is fixed income investors, you know, as we've seen the past uh, year and a half. So we're looking at, you know, higher for longer. You know, that's that's going to be a bit of a headwind to equities. I still think a prudent allocation, um, having some exposure to growth makes sense. Uh, and, and we're going to talk a little bit about technology later in the call but the NASDAQ index is up over 30% to start the year. Whether that will remain to be seen, well, we'll talk about a, bit, a bit more about that in, in a second. But I, I also think there's some relevancy to having defensiveness in your portfolio, especially when we're seeing you know, some market participants thinking that the inflation story is done. I'm not so sure it's done just yet. So we're going to see how that plays out. U.S. dollar 
is trading a little bit richer. Commodities, crude oil is trading a little bit lower. So the market is telling you there's some risk there. And I think defensive approaches make sense. So a couple that I'd look to to supplement into a portfolio where uh, the low volatility factor and the dividend factor can have the BMO US low volatility ETF, ticker ZLU, or similarly with more of an income focus, the BMO US dividend ETF, ZDY. And those are a couple tools that can help mitigate risk or volatility that we might see in the market, you know, but still continue to have that exposure to equities and help provide that growth exposure over time that that comes from staying invested in equities, um, even through volatile periods. So, you know, I'd suggest to, uh, you know, to still maintain to to have some of those exposures. Yes, it's, it's good. We're potentially looks like knock on wood, we're going to get through this issue, but there's still there's still more on the board. And I think it does make sense to look at those. Great. Thanks, Chris. We'll turn it back to you, Matt. There's been a lot of headlines in May. Can you walk us through how fixed income markets have fared overall? And does that change your outlook on rate hikes looking forward? And has your fixed income positioning changed over the period? Sure. So, you know, this one, I'm going to focus more on Canada as as the last one was very U.S. centric. Uh, So, you know, in Canada, the big surprise in May was April's hotter than expected inflation print. You know, this led fixed income markets to give back some, you know, I would say well-deserved positive returns year to date. We're still seeing year to date positive returns, just not as uh, as high as, as we saw prior to that inflation print kind of mid-month of mid-May. You know, we saw yields bounce quite a bit higher across the curve as the uh, market was spooked that you know, this might not be the end of hikes after all. You know, the Bank of Canada has been very prescriptive, saying that they are in wait and see mode, that they are going to be data dependent. They're going to be watching for any sort of surprises or further heating of the economy. You know, so April's CPI print was was a perfect example of it. Today's GDP, uh, another example of potentially the, the economy is a little hotter than than uh, expected. So, you know, the Bank of Canada does have some decisions to make. So as yields rose across the curve, you know, we saw duration underperform. So longer duration bonds, longer term bonds underperform shorter term bonds. You know, as well, we saw corporate bonds outperform federal and provincial bonds as credit spreads held firm. So if you're asking my outlook and what I see no, I wouldn't say it's changed much. I think uh, I think this does confirm our narrative that you know this is not going to be a linear recovery. I think there's going to continue to be prints like April hotter, you know, blips of of hotter inflation, you know, concerns about uh, you know an overheating economy. I think that those are going to continue. Uh, I just don't think they're going to be month over month over month. I think we're going to see them sporadically, and I think that's going to lead to a little bit more volatility in the market as we move forward. I still believe the Bank of Canada will continue to hold firm next week, but I do think that the the likelihood of a hike has definitely gone up. Today's GDP being positive and being kind of uh, in, indicative of an economy that is still running hot, you know, I think that is something that the Bank of Canada will 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 consider uh, before making that decision next week. And you know, while I think that they'll continue to hold firm, I think the 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 market is now saying, you know, we could see a hike this summer. You know, let's just not uh, let's just not per- pretend like we're we're done with hiking fully. So I think that's something to, to monitor. That being said, I think we're nearing, if not 
at the peak, nearing the peak of interest rates, and we're going to see higher rates for longer. I think that's that's going to be the narrative in Canada and the U.S. until we get through kind of this uncertainty around inflation. And every economic print is going to be monitored closely by markets and, and obviously by the Bank of Canada. From a positioning perspective, I still favor uh, our overall fixed income positioning Short-term credit is something I see still continue to see a lot of value in. So for me on the ETF side, I'm looking at ZCS, BMO Short Corporate Bond Index ETF, or ZST, the BMO Ultra Short-Term Bond ETF. You know, I'd like to complement that with something like Long Federal, similar to that barbell strategy in the U.S., uh, the first question on, on the U.S. market. You know, so that's our BMO Long Federal Bond Index ETF, ZFL. You know, if I look at, uh, if I look credit spreads, why do I like credit in the short term? You know, credit spreads holding firm in May tells me that the current levels are resilient and that down some of some downside in the market is already priced into credit already. And that's one of the reasons why I like short-term credit is that I think right now, if you look at spreads versus historical levels, you know, we're 40 to 50 basis points wider than we have been on the 10-year average. You know, so some downsides already priced in. And given the volatility we saw in May, you know, the fact that spreads held tight tells me that the market is comfortable with the current levels and that you know we're not going to see these massive sell-offs. So that's why I, I see strength in, in credit and, I, and the, taking advantage of a 5% yield in the short end is never, uh, never a bad thing. With that, I still think that inflation is a concern, and I think we're going to see blips of, of hotter inflation you know, as we move throughout the fall. Uh, so I still value kind of a 5 to 10% allocation in something like ZTIP, so BMO Short-Term U.S. TIPS Index ETF, or the full-term exposure TIPS TIPS, BMO U.S. TIPS Index ETF. If we expect to see upside surprises like we saw in April, you know, I think there's still value in tips exposure here, you know, in the near term. I think this this exposure for 6 to 12 months will help you weather some of those upside surprises in inflation um and then, you know, once inflation is more under control, let's call it six to 12 months from now, you know, I I think removing that position would be prudent. So, you know, overall you know, I think May was a good microcosm of what we can expect moving into the fall. You know, still a positive trend for fixed income returns. You know, there's going to be some intra-period volatility with with uh, concerning economic releases, but I don't expect those to to um, buddy up and kind of be month over month over month. I think those are going to be more aberrations as we go. So we just need to in, uh, insulate our portfolios, make sure that we have some downside protection. And that's where I think, you know, having short credit right now and some inflation protected securities, uh, both are very well positioned for the period ahead. Great. Thanks, Matt. Not all cash equivalents are created equal. And BMO's money market and ultra short term bond ETFs offer several high quality options to park client cash. To learn more, visit BMOETFs.com and search for tickers ZMMK, ZST, and ZUS. Next, we'll switch over to you, Chris, and touch on technology. Uh, It's had a major rally this year with the NASDAQ leading the way, up over 30% year-to-date. And lately, we've seen NVIDIA have make waves on their earnings forecast and positive drivers from AI technology. 
what's really leading the surge here and how do you think uh, positioning technology within your portfolio would fare right now? Yeah, thanks, Mackenzie. So really seeing uh, a reversion of what we saw in 2022, you know, as that really, that was the heart of the rate hiking cycle, you know, technology was severely impacted to the negative, to the downside. And, you know, that sector was down about 30%. Well, it's up 30% this year uh, in the NASDAQ, as you mentioned, and reclaiming a lot of that lost ground. Uh, certainly, like, I think the rate normalization has helped that that rates are staying towards higher levels, but at least not increasing or, or accelerating with increases to the upside. NVIDIA has been an interesting one. Uh, certainly, you can't help but to notice the wave of AI euphoria kind of rolling out through society and in conversations right now. NVIDIA, they're a, they're a chip manufacturer. So for uh, AI machines that require the kind of the latest and greatest in chip technology, NVIDIA is really the top provider there. So that's the connection and why NVIDIA has been one of the one of the major beneficiaries of this trend that's that's really uh, you know accelerated with chat GBT. So that's one. Of course, euphoria is not always a great word when it comes to equity investing. Uh, as we know, equities can tend to overshoot. So we'll see how NVIDIA fares. And you know, their forecast was strong. But what I really like about technology is call it the breadbasket or, you know, stable technology names. And so the big ones I'm thinking about here, Google, Meta, Microsoft, and Apple, the real tech giants in the U.S. and NVIDIA perhaps is becoming one of those over time. But, you know, those kind of established tech giants, they've proven to have resilient earning streams. If you look at the most recent quarter, all four of those companies beat uh, in the 5 to 10% range. So you're seeing um, productiveness. Now, there are concerns about, you know, advertising spend slowing down, but at the same time, they're proving to be resilient. In a way, I think the price action of last year has forced them to be a little bit more responsible in terms of their capital investments, um, you know, and they've, they've really shored up, um, you know, several of these companies have shored up their expenses. And, you know, it's not just a... Uh, not just a free-for-all in terms of spending. And so that's that's been well-received by the stock market as well, that these companies are being very mindful of expenses and cost control, um, you know, especially given it's an inflationary environment. So there's a lot of good things happening with technology. The next six months, always uncertain. But, you know, I think as an investor, it, it's generally beneficial to focus on longer-term time horizons. And investors can benefit by having exposure to technology over the longer-term time horizon. So uh, a couple tools that I would look to get exposure to technology are the NASDAQ, which would be our, our, our BMO NASDAQ 100 index ETF is ZNQ. Uh, we have a hedged version, ZQQ, um, as well. And uh, another one that's been very interesting and has actually outperformed is our ZWT, uh, BMO Covered Call Technology ETF. Um, has been actually one of the top performing BMO ETFs of the year. It's up 40% this year. It's a pure play on technology, uh, whereas the NASDAQ does have some elements, smaller weights, but some elements of non-technology within it, such as biotech and a couple consumer names like Pepsi and Costco, although it is thought of as a tech index. But those are those are a couple tools that can get exposure to technology. Uh, the cover call can have that exposure to volatility and turning that into additional income as well. 
And then just cycling back to a couple of those comments in terms of having a diverse, having a, you know, perhaps a defensive outlook, I should say, with some of the things the market may have to encounter, having like a low vol or a dividend strategy, pairing it with a more of a growth technology strategy. I think that pair, you know, can be really productive. And again, where one zigs, the other can zag and vice versa. So um, that's, that's, you know, looking at the U.S. equity strategy, um, that's, that's one pair that I think is productive and, and taking a long-term view, I think, you know, technology, certainly it's had a great run, you know, probably the second half of the year isn't as strong as the first half, but it really speaks to the ongoing resiliency and a strong positive outlook for the sector in the years ahead. Great. Thanks, Chris. And last but not least, we'll put you back in the hot seat. International equities have performed quite well in Q4 and have so far this year. Does this trend have staying power? And if so, what are some ETF ideas that can help gain access to international equities? Yeah, thanks. So, you know, Europe comes and goes in terms of how people feel about investing in that region. But I think, you know, as you said, the, the recent months, it's been quite productive. So year to date, my preferred tool for Europe would be the ZWE, which is the BMO Covered Call High Dividend Europe ETF. So ZWE is the ticker on that one. And it's yielding 7.3%. It's really exposed in focusing on blue chip dividend paying companies, the largest and most kind of stable dividend companies in the region. You know, it does have a skew to large cap within the portfolio. It's up about uh, 8.7% to start the year. And that's roughly in line with where the MSCI Europe index is. But again, can benefit from you know more attractive valuation profile in Europe. Europe also has more direct exposure to the China recovery theme, which has been something we've been keeping an eye on. Now, the market is starting to think maybe this Chinese recovery might not be coming through, but I think that's an opportunity to perhaps leg into it. Now that the market's becoming a bit skeptical on China, perhaps that's creating a good entry story. And I, you know, I do think the Chinese economy has a lot to do to restart. There's going to be some positive catalysts if if we can get some of the geopolitics to settle down. I think those are potential real strong catalysts potentially for China and Europe as well. So we'll look for that to happen as potential catalysts. And uh, but I do think investors can benefit from additional diversification, and, and ZWE might be a tool to consider to achieve that in the region. Great, thanks, Chris, for your insights. And with that, that is all the questions that we have for this week. So I would like to thank everyone for tuning in each and every week and a special thank you to both Matt and Chris for providing some great insights. And with that, thanks everyone and have yourself a great day. Thank you to Mackenzie Box, Matt Montemoro, and Chris Heeks for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today we heard about the BMO Ultra Short Term U.S. Bond ETF, ticker ZUS.U, which provides short-term credit exposure and takes advantage of the inverted yield curve. Our experts also discussed the resilient technology sector. The BMO NASDAQ 100 Equity Index ETF, ticker ZNQ, invests in some of the largest non-financial companies in the U.S., such as Microsoft, Apple, NVIDIA, and Amazon. For more information about the other ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the ETF Center at BMOETFs.com. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. 
Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Commissions, management fees, and expenses, if any, all may be associated with investments in exchange-traded funds. Please read the ETF facts or prospectus before investing. Exchange-traded funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. BMO Global Asset Management is a brand name under which BMO Asset Management Inc. and BMO Investments Inc. operate.